0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to Episode 219 of the podcast. It's March 24th, 2015. My guest today is Tristan Cromer. He's a Lean Startup Coach who works with startups around the world, and he volunteers for the nonprofit Lean Startup Circle. So in this episode, we're going to talk about a number of things, including how Tristan got involved in the lean startup movement, the difference between a coach and a consultant, and lessons from various startups. He's also going to talk about why being data-driven and scientific is the aspiration for startups, and why somebody who, as he puts it, starts from a profound state of ignorance can be helpful by asking the right questions. So I hope you enjoy the episode. If you're new to this podcast, you can find all past episodes and information about how to subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or other ways by going to leancast.org. You'll also find a link to the podcast collections page, which includes a collection of lean startup themed uh, episodes, including Eric Reese and Patrick Vlaskovitz, uh, other podcasts about lean startup, customer development, lean IT, and things that might be of interest to you. So as always, thanks for listening. Tristan, hi! Thanks for being a guest with us here on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Can you introduce yourself um, for the listeners? You know, what, what's what's your background and and what do you do professionally?
1: Sure. Um, I'm Tristan Cromer. I spend about half of my time working with startups around the world. So I volunteer for an organization called Lean Startup Circle. Um, operates meetups and. It's an unclear count. Somewhere between 60 and 80 at the moment, cities around the world, helping them get set up and uh, kind of advance the state of peer-to-peer knowledge within that ecosystem. So how do we, how do we identify our risky assumptions? How do we move startups beyond this uh, haphazard blind discovery phase into something more systematic and uh, perhaps one step closer to science? And the rest of my time, I do much the same thing, but I do it uh, in a professional capacity with larger organizations, uh, enterprises, and uh, in some cases, government organizations that really want to figure out how to systematically change their startup ecosystem to lower the cost of innovation, encourage entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship.
0: So tell us a little bit more, um, you know, first about Lean Startup Circle. It sounds like um, it, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, or tell me if I'm wrong, that it's a nonprofit and that it's very much kind of a, a distributed network of groups as opposed to being any sort of like you know central authority.
1: Yes, it is very much a decentralized grassroots community. So it uh, originated very spontaneously. It was originally founded by Rich Collins, I think almost five six years ago now, and uh, he. Uh, did not try to impose any sort of centralized authority onto it, just all of these groups started popping up uh, first in the U.S. and then around the world that were just interested in talking about Lean Startup because nobody really had all the answers. Uh, There were really no experts that one could simply say like, hey, Eric, come on over, give us a talk and answer all of our questions. Um, One of the nice things about Lean Startup is that it starts from a profound state of ignorance. Hmm. You know, we... In order to do a lean startup, we're we're starting with the premise that we don't know everything, that we can't predict the future, that we don't have the crystal ball business plan that will tell us our ROI in five years. So uh, kind of at the core of that philosophy is really that state of ignorance and the understanding that we, we don't have the answers. There's nobody necessarily that we can turn to, but we can ask the right questions. And if we can ask each other the right questions, even on a peer-to-peer basis, where, where nobody has the answers, like just asking the right questions is 90% of solving the problem. Mm-hmm. So so that's the philosophy that that group is really founded on and uh, you know, the closest it gets to a, a centralized infrastructure is kind of me answering the phone a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're actually working, uh, more again, it's purely on a volunteer basis. Uh, we're, we're working on putting together some more infrastructure for the groups to coordinate across regions, cities, uh, countries, but it is very much decentralized and it's kind of a, a wonderful organic mess.
0: Yeah. So we have a organic mess and a profound state of of, of ignorance. Uh, I, I love those phrases, but no, I mean, you know, just to maybe dive into that a little bit. You know, I think there are, I think there's interesting parallels between kind of more granular uh, problem solving or improvement work within an existing organization and that lean startup approach, where. You know, if we're if, I, if I'm working with a team in a hospital, one of the old habits we're trying to break is people jumping to solutions or being very yeah. solution driven. Yeah. We're going to go implement a best practice. And I'm always the one saying, wait a minute, time out. Do we really do we know? And other lean thinkers will do this. Do we really know what the problem is and and to lead by asking questions and, and trying to check assumptions at the door? Um, maybe in transition, to, you know, talking, maybe you can share some context uh, about how this works in the lean startup perspective. It seems similar that instead of being in love with our technology or in love with our solution, that it really starts with a similar process of, you know, do we really understand the problem that our customers face, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the that design thinking approach. Um, I, th- I think that's absolutely correct. And uh, in some ways, it's easier for startups rather than large enterprises because in a large enterprise there's at least this sort of presumption that you know maybe there is a best practice maybe this is a, a, a simple domain as opposed to a complex or chaotic domain where where there's a, too many variables going on to really accurately predict what happens when I make this small simple change um, particularly I think the the analog or the analogy in, in medicine is probably very appropriate you know the same medicine might cure one patient and kill another mm-hmm. Because the human body is a compl- is a complex thing with many different uh, many different moving parts and variables, and a large organization is very similar. Anything with kind of a lot of human beings trying to cooperate with one another all of a sudden gets messy and chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just applying the best practices and say, "Hey, let's let's all do Scrum," you know, that might work, mm-hmm. and it also might just cause uh, <laughs> fear, panic, anxiety. Uh, Post rejection from, from <laughs> corporate right. antibodies, mm-hmm. so, you know. So any of that stuff is, I think, the big challenge in the corporate realm is to identify when it's the right time to shout like everybody follow me and let's implement the best practice, and when it's time to step back and say, well, wait a minute, is this a simple problem or should we be asking questions instead?
0: Yeah, and 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 I think that's a great point. You know, the parallel that I would draw, I think, you know, thinking to the world that I normally work in the hesitance that people have to say either I don't know or let's go figure that out when when people and especially I think as as people get into more senior leadership they've built Mm -hmm. a career upon being right and having answers and you know that that really creates I I think a really great discomfort in, in a process that involves uncertainty so I'm sure yeah. Well, I mean, we, we know, you know what's Eric Reese's definition of a startup. Uh, and, and that definition includes a phrase, you know, of uh, high uncertainty an environment of high uncertainty or something like that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, are there some entre- entrepreneurs that are, are similarly caught in that? I'm right. I have the answer mindset. It does, does lean startup approaches or a coach like yourself help them maybe, you know, break through some of that, that those old habits or what, what I'm curious what some of your
1: experiences are? Well, I mean, to some degree, um, I mean, look, for, for a pure startup, um, there's not much that you can do to convince somebody that thinks they're right, you know, that maybe they should be asking different questions. You, know, you can intellectually badger somebody into submission, you know, and if you have a strong enough force of will, it's, it's possible. But that's not going to really affect real change, and and that's the same within a company or you know a startup inside a company or or um, a real you know team of three startup uh, just scrambling for seed money. It's it's the exact same thing. I I had an ongoing argument with this guy for three years uh, that I happened to see once a year at this conference, and uh, you know I had that conversation with him. I. Asked him what his activation rate was and what's his build planning. It was like, oh, we're going to release in one year. And, uh, you know, well, we expect to have an ROI immediately. And I I badgered him into challenging those assumptions and saying, why don't you just launch this this minimal piece here and uh, get it out this month? And he absolutely agreed with me. And when I saw him again the next year, he was like, oh, well, we didn't do that. You know, we we, and, and we didn't quite make our one year release plan. We've got another six months to go. You know, we had the same conversation, like, no, launch early, launch fast, fail fast, identify your assumptions. And another year passed, and he had just launched, you know, a month earlier. And when I asked him, great, how's it going? You know, uh, what's your activation rate? What's your retention rate? He couldn't even answer those questions. And this is a conversation I've had over and over and over again. And uh, I I don't think it works, and I think it's kind of (laughs) a profound waste of time. So... Well, I'd like to say that my job is to miraculously, like, uh, convince people to challenge their assumptions and make progress. Like, that's not really functionally what I do. I choose to only work with people that that have already made that first shift.
0: Right. And and well, and and I think some of what you describe is the the curse of the consultant, where um, you, you're you're brought in, people ask your professional opinion, you give advice, and then they choose to not follow that advice. I mean, that's uh, you know a lament of. Uh, you know, consultants the world over, perhaps. Um, yeah. I think about why that is. So, um,
1: which is why I think consulting is not appropriate uh, in yeah. some regards. Like, it's yeah. not consulting, it's coaching.
0: Uh, so so t- tell me more. How, how do you see that that difference? Maybe other than the ba- the badger being the mascot of a, uh, a coach. <laughs> um, how would, I'm curious, you know, what what do you see as a difference between coaches and, and consultants?
1: Um, so this is not a... You know there are times when consultants are absolutely the right thing to do, and you know I at times consult, but I, I kind of cognitively separate those two things in my mind. As you know, as a consultant, my job is to go in there and you know prepare a nice two by two you know presentation um, and try and give them the best practices or here is my opinion based on the situation that I've investigated for you. Here's what I would do at this point, and. That can be helpful at times. You know, just going. I've sat together with accelerators and tried to say, like, okay, based based on your current state of affairs, here's the curriculum I would implement. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, the consultant's job is done when the deliverable is delivered. Right. And the coach, on the other hand, is a very different set of metrics. It's not just, hey, deliver that report, give me the presentation. Um, the coach's metrics are the team's metrics. So I will work with a team over a period of time. Uh, it may be one month, it might be three months, it might mm-hmm. be longer than that, and my job there is uh, I'm measured by the team's success.
2: Right.
1: Not just on the project success, but you know, is the team, is the velocity of the team improving? Um, are they innovating faster? Are they running actual tests with real results that come back? Can those results then inform next steps? Can those results, that research, that information, that knowledge about the customer be transferred to other projects? Those are the sorts of metrics and success that we can look at in terms of coaching, uh, which is very, very different from consulting, where it's just like kind of binary: did you deliver the report? Yeah. Did you give us your best practice?
0: The difference between a a more, you know, uh, one-off or you know, know, here's what we did versus here's what we're doing on an ongoing basis, and I'm vested in your success, and that that's that's what a coach does over time. I guess we think in parallels to somebody who has. uh, a trainer or a golf coach or somebody that that works with them over time in a different realm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And we're not going to measure the coaches and very often like a good coach for a team, we want to measure their success by something like, well, what's the overall increase in their batting average? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the, what's the team's record for the season as opposed to this one game that they're working on.
0: Yeah. Um so I'm I'm wondering, you know, if you can talk about either startups that that you were directly involved in, or maybe, you know, stories from um, coaching that you've done. I mean, what what are some of your favorite stories that help illustrate a good use of um, lean startup principles or lean startup practices for, for the, for listeners who really maybe don't know about this, or are there kind of some classic examples that you like?
1: Uh, I mean, there's there's a ton of classic examples I like from aardvark, you know, from everything right out of the Lean Startup book to, you know, some kind of more personal examples.
0: Yeah, so let's go, you know, personal examples are always great, so. So,
1: um, yeah. so you know what, I'll, I'll go kind of way further back in, in my career then, say, um, so I was in the music industry for 10 years. Hmm. Um, sometimes as a producer, sometimes as a musician, sometimes as a backup musician. Um, one of the things that I always... Uh, I always thought I excelled at, you know, or thought I was very good at, was songwriting, right? And certainly we didn't have any of the language of lean uh, back then. But one of the things I thought I was good at was songwriting. And let's let's assume, for the sake of argument, that I was a fantastic songwriter, and that, you know, every song I wrote, you know, there's maybe a fifty percent chance that that song was good. That was my my hit rate. And uh, but unfortunately, I would write maybe a song a month. You know, it's not very fast. I like to polish and, and, and make everything really, really shine try and get the most out of, out of any particular is, concept.
0: Is, is the parallel, I guess you're writing the song in stealth mode, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With yeah.
1: absolutely no feedback. <laughs> and, and the parallel between tech and music is really just, it's almost word for word, you know, in startup land, you've got a whole bunch of people who think they're rock stars. <laughs> Would be successful, you know, they just have such a brilliant idea and would be successful if only they could have a, uh, you know, a technical founder, right. Okay. And of course, venture capital funding. And after that, everything's easy. And in the music land, we have people who are actually think they're rock stars, literally think they're rock stars. Um, and they would be successful if only they could find, you know, a drummer with great technical chops. Um, that's always the big request. Nobody can find a drummer. Mm-hmm. And of course, an A&R rep who has the money.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's the exact same thing. Like, no, no, no. We're going to rehearse in this closet yeah. until it's perfect.
0: And, and I'm guessing a lot of bands that fail and give up, you hear the same lament with startups. Like, oh, we were we were just ahead of our time musically.
1: We were just <laughs> ahead of our time. You know, we didn't have the marketing engine. Like, we just couldn't connect with the right audience. But if people but if people heard us, they'd recognize that this music is uh, brilliant, right? Right. Um, but I digress. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, did, did you learn from that and, and start to take more of a uh, approach of trying to fail fast with songs and trying to get feedback like, oh, this isn't even worth polishing or here's well, something I, worth pursuing
1: or honestly, I wish I was that intelligent. Well. <laughs> um, I mean, instead, I would take like 12 months to write 12 songs and half of them were, you know, decent and, you know, half of a decent album makes for a pretty mediocre album, like, frankly. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend, uh, uh, Scott Wolfson, who I thought was you know, certainly not the best guitar player in the world. Uh, he didn't even know that many chords, um, so a lot of his songs sounded <laughs> very similar, uh, very repetitive to me. But but that guy, you know, he wrote a song a day. You know, he was constantly churning out music. So at the end of his year, even if he was, you know, comparatively a much worse songwriter and only 10% of his songs were great, as opposed to 50% of mine. You know, at the end of the year, he's got at least 36 great songs. You know, that's maybe three good albums or one amazing album. And I, I mean, even if you look at the music industry, this pans out true. But at the end of the day, you know, more swings at bat, you know, more times to roll the dice, more ideas equals more good ideas. And mm-hmm. if you you can facilitate the act of, of experimenting, trying getting feedback quickly and, and filtering out which are the true gems in the rough there. Like then you wind up with better material.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that, that stands out to me from you know, the lean start methodology is this idea of, you know, if you're going to fail, fail quickly and invalidate an idea before you waste a large part of your life, um, working on, on an idea, um, or you know, a song, or maybe, maybe we'll jump back into entrepreneurship space here. But you know, um, what, what are some examples or are there stories where you were able to – I'm always fascinated by the stories of where people invalidated something and said, you know what, that isn't going to be a business. I'm going to just stop and try to work on something else instead.
1: Yes. Well, so there's the subtle difference there between like just changing your mind and pivoting, right?
0: Ah. So, yeah, you can you tell us about that?
1: so uh you know pivoting is when you when based on based on your current business model you learn something from that customer feedback or the market feedback and you change one aspect of your business model right so i think eric says keep one foot grounded in what you've learned and then you pivot around that okay and there's a big difference between that and simply like changing your mind and working on something else like Groupon, for example, I think is, uh, I'll pick on Groupon because I, I, I don't know it that well. So somebody from your can, can correct me. But their original idea had something to do with like crowdfunding nonprofits, right? Huh. And uh, they wound up selling group discounts for ordering pizzas, I think was their first thing. So, like, there's an example of what a lot of people would call a pivot. I would call that just like an entirely different business model. Like, right. it didn't have anything to do with their original vision.
0: They know? basically so, threw away the old idea and said, that's not working, let's do something else.
1: So, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and perhaps there's some like minor lesson learned that got over, you know, Flickr coming from an uh, online game and becoming a photo sharing engine. I suppose there was something in that original behavior that led them to believe that photo sharing was interesting, but it's so fundamentally different in terms of what they hope to achieve with the business that i'm not even sure i would consider that a pivot mm-hmm. um so go ahead
0: no so and, and i'm sure that that word pivot gets yeah. thrown around irresponsibly or it just becomes this buzzword and oh yeah pivot 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 and you know, i guess like you know we see this in other realms with with lean somebody latches on to a word and you know because we're using that word yeah, yeah we're lean but you know maybe under under the the, the superficial surface uh, Maybe not so much or people misunderstand they they hear a little bit about lean startup and say, oh yeah you know, I get it. I'm pivoting when maybe they're just flailing around and doing things in a undisciplined structured way where well, the one thing that strikes me about the lean startup approach is that it's meant to be scientific and disciplined and data driven,
1: right Yeah, I, I'd certainly think so. I mean that's the aspiration mm-hmm. uh, if nothing else. I mean, it's, it's hard to be very specific when you're dealing with sample sizes of you know, incredibly small sample sizes um, at the very, very early stage where you might just be talking to 10 people. You know, Steve Blank's just getting out of the building and talking to 10 people or even 100 people. That's, you know, that's generally not a scientific experiment. Um, but the principle, again, of, of starting from a position of ignorance and identifying what you don't know and then attempting to perform an experiment, or just researching, um, and trying to clarify, to narrow down, to identify a falsifiable hypothesis that you can then run an experiment on. I mean, that's that's really the goal there. So I, I, I see a lot of a lot of buzzword bingo being played with the startup. You know, there's just tons of it, and uh, I always ask my audience at the beginning um, when I'm giving talks, you know, how, how many of you, uh, you know retch a little bit every time you hear one of your friends use the word pivot and more often than not, it's over half the audience that's just sick of hearing about it. Um, But we have to kind of get past the buzzwords and and understand that this is not a step one, step two, step three methodology that you must implement. Um, This is a philosophical approach, um, you know, and it's the difference between Scrum and Agile. You know, Agile is the philosophy and Scrum is one way of implementing that and lean startup has a lot of these specific things that people associated with it, like the business model canvas, which you know you can use the business model canvas in a very lean way and identify risky assumptions and uh, experiment on them and identify if they're true or false, or you can just fill out that business model canvas and then throw it in a drawer and never look at it again. Right. Now, that doesn't make well,
0: you lean. I think there's a strong parallel um... For, for listeners who don't know what the business model canvas is, and you, you can Google this and, and learn a lot about it, but um, it, it's a single page document. Um, as, you know, there, there might be an equivalent to um, an A3 you know, that people are using to solve problems yes. in a hospital or in a factory. You can go through the mechanics of filling out an A3 and similarly throw it in a drawer and said, I, I did an A3 without really gaining any insight or um, not starting from that, that state of ignorance and starting with the solution. And well, I did an A3, which is basically, you know, kind of just randomly throwing a best practice out there. There's, I guess, there's, like you said, the, the, the tool, but then there's the spirit. Exactly. Yeah. You
1: no, know, we did a retro where we all sat around and had croissants and, uh, celebrated ourselves. Is very different from, you know, asking five whys. Mm-hmm.
0: And and I think the, another thing you said was interesting. Where you said you know, that's the aspiration. Um, I think there are directional ideals that I see in lean manufacturing or uh, as applied to lean healthcare that sometimes people take as being a little bit too much um, inflexible gospel truth. So one of the the lean ideals would be um, you know the idea that you you never pass on a defect to the next step of the process, that you stop the line, that you you fix problems, you build in quality at the source. And, you know, when I've, I've had a chance to go visit, um, we'll call them a world-class auto manufacturer, um, <laughs> I don't want to name names, but you talk about this process where, you know, the ideal is that if they see a defect, they pull the cord and and lean Manufacturing orthodoxy says, well, you know, they stop the line and they fix the problem, and you don't pass on junk. But you know, people that tour said, well, these are frontline workers who really have no reason to to tell you anything than the honest truth. I said, well, it depends on what the problem is. Like, if it's just a surface thing that's easily fixed and not really recurring, yeah, we'll let that go on because that can be fixed later. But you know, I know they're not going to do like you know Ford truck plants were notorious for of, you know, uh, not having seats, but building trucks anyway, without <laughs> seats, and then having all of this really super expensive rework to half tear the truck apart and then put in seats. And then, you know, so there's, yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the aspiration would be to never pass on a defect, but the real world and and the decisions that that people make I guess, you know, sometimes maybe run in conflict with that. I, I wouldn't say that organization is not lean, quote unquote, because they don't follow that orthodoxy.
1: Yeah, well, what is lean? What is not lean, right? It's I think it's not a it's not a binary state. It's it's are we getting better like at all? I mean, you're not going to catch every defect, but if you're catching, you know, 5% where you used to be catching 0% of the defects, you know, and stopping the line then, that's improvement, right? Like, if you have some sort of self-healing system, which then looks for, like, hey, well, our cycle time, you know, to produce a, a feature or a product used to be six months, and now it's five months, okay, well, that's certainly not as lean as a startup that cranks something out in 54 yeah. hours, but it's better, It's right? better, yeah. So. Are they after that one cycle going? Well, how do we get that down to four months and twenty days?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that's that's lean to me. It's that continuous improvement, that that dedication to kaizen that I think right. is is uh, comparative. Uh, not comparative. It's it's the same. Yeah.
0: yeah, and you know the the parallel in the healthcare space would be um, hospitals that are reducing the amount of time it takes a patient to get through a process. Um, and you know you see case studies of of hospitals that. Have reduced that time by 60 or 70 percent but it was never because of one big project it was yeah. that like you said that passion for kaizen and it got a little bit better one year and they made it better than next and suddenly before you know it five years later it's it's dramatically better and the risk then is i think people want to shortcut that effort in those cycles of learning and that's one thing i like about the lean startup approach you know they're talking about rapidly you know how quickly can you learn how quickly can you go through build, measure, learn cycles. Um, people want to shortcut that and say, well, okay, that organization made all of these improvements. I'm going to somehow implement all of their best practices and that makes me lean. And it sounds like we agree that that, that you know, they, they might get the results or, or might not, but it's a different approach than operating like a lean organization.
1: Right? Yeah, it's more likely that they'll see some short-term boost. Uh, and then fall back to old practices. And I, I think this happened a lot in lean manufacturing, which I've never been deeply involved in, but I've certainly read a lot of case studies, so maybe you can clarify for me. I mean, I think that a lot of people attempted to implement lean, but outside of the NUMI, Numi plant?
0: Yeah, that was the GM right? Toyota
1: plant. That was yeah. the, like, they, they had a fundamental cultural shift there, which involved a huge amount of, of uh, effort and, and uh, executive executive (laughs) buy-in there and really investment in the long term as opposed to the other places where they're like oh let's just watch them and then copy what they did where they found short-term benefits and then you know a year later it was right back to uh line managers arguing with executives Mm -hmm. arguing with floor workers
0: right yeah um and and so when you know when you say you use that phrase we attempted to implement lean i think whether that is in manufacturing or healthcare it begs the question of okay well what do you mean by implementing lean because there's a difference between organizations that maybe hire a specialist or say, you know, we want to go implement lean tactics as opposed to executives really getting involved and saying, we're going to change the culture. We're going to manage in a new way. Like, you know, when I was at General Motors, you know, so going back 19 years ago, we had a plant that was terrible, but we were, and and they had the equivalent, we had the equivalent, we might have called them lean manufacturing coaches. Who had been brought in and were, you know, very systematically uh, isolated by the leaders who didn't want them there. But when we finally got a new plant manager who had been one of those first GM people at the NUMI plant, that new leader coming in and saying, you know, from the top, that guy who, you know, had 800 hourly and salaried employees reporting to him, for him to say, all right, you know, the, the, things are going to change and it starts with me and it changes. Uh, It starts with the tone and and the culture and the way we lead. That's a whole different experience. And that plant made far more progress than uh, an organization that's maybe just trying to copy some lean tools.
1: Yeah. And that's hard. That requires, it's not like that that leader can do it by themselves, right? They can't just say, like, here it is and there it is. But that's kind of a prerequisite. Like, without that sort of air support from the guy at the top who says, like, it's okay if you screw it up. It's okay if you stop the line. Like that's that's very difficult to implement that culture change without that support. And I think companies that either just try and go top down or just try and go bottom up mm-hmm. have have seen the pain of that. Whether it's lean manufacturing or or lean startup.
0: So what, what do you see happening? Maybe let me transition and talk about bigger companies that are using startup lean startup methods. Um, you know, uh, GE has been you know I think pretty famously highlighted at the last few lean startup conferences as using. Lean startup methodologies, not to develop software, but to develop hard, physical products like refrigerators and things like yep. that. Um, have Have you seen examples um, in in maybe a bigger company where leadership tried to change the tone about the way or the the, the culture around product development to, um, you know, try to really from the top incorporate a different way of doing things.
1: So, I mean, so I've I've seen a a number of different approaches. Um, uh, some of which I can say publicly and some of which I cannot. Well, uh, this I, is, this I, is
0: public. So, we'll, yeah. Yeah.
1: so I, I think one of the most successful examples I've seen so far is at Intuit. And uh, I'll, I'll make the caveat that every single company that has kind of gone out with the trumpet and announced that they was lean, like there's there's always going to be a certain degree of bullshit. right? And, and that's fine. Like we said, we're not trying to be either lean or not lean. We're just trying to say, are we trying to improve and are we taking real steps to continuously improve? I think Intuit has been really, really good about that. Uh, you know, they actively send people out into the field to, like, Lean Startup Machines and Luxor Workshop and IDEO, and they, they bring those different tools back in, and they've kind of crafted their own flavor of Lean, which they labeled the Innovation Catalysts. Um, so my, my only complaint about them is that I think perhaps they don't necessarily give credit to the, uh, <laughs> to the forerunners they're mm. stealing from there, but, th- but what they've done is really cool. Now, of course, if you talk to some of the people on the ground at at Intuit, they'll say, like, oh, yeah, well, we talk a big game, but we don't do that. But they are making huge strides towards that, and I think that's something to be commended. Um, And they have the support there at the top. And they also have a lot of grassroots people who really believe in that approach and are really dedicated about implementing and teaching that and spreading that through the organization. I I have also seen some companies which, uh, you know, really try and, Like they, again, try and implement Lean Startup, but it very much falls on the tactics and they don't, it's it's kind of like they're doing the whole uh, build it and they will come approach just to the methodology. They say, all right, we're going to roll out Lean Startup on 50,000 people right now. You know, we're going to hire 20 trainers and we're going to do a big launch and train everybody on this. It's like if, And if you were doing lean startup, you'd think, like, well, why, why are we doing a big launch and trying to implement this in 30,000 people simultaneously? Yeah. Why don't we just like start with one team and attempt to identify what are the obstacles for in, to innovation for that team? Let's try and measure what is the cost of innovation in our company. Like what's the cost to fail for a project?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And let's try and reduce that. So they might be holding these workshops, you know, implementing this massive project plan of change management for three years without really even bothering to implement the sort of metrics that we would implement if we were trying to do a product in the lean yeah. function. So those approaches that I've seen really seem to be kind of flailing or haphazard, and I, I worry about them in, in the long run. And I think that's the biggest danger is, is not in, in not applying lean thinking to. Change management to lean startup, to lean manufacturing. Right. Like would you ever make a change on the production line without measuring the effect of that? You know, so why would you make that change in your training program or your hiring process without measuring the effect of that?
0: And and what you described there, I mean, I think there are, are very strong parallels to um, a hospital trying to maybe embrace an approach to Kaizen or continuous improvement. I've seen a lot of organizations. Really struggle with doing some sort of, um, you know, hospital-wide rollout of yeah. a methodology that doesn't really get supported or coached very well, and you know, you walk around and you see the artifact of, of some sort of board or improvement mm-hmm. process, but there's no improvement happening. And and you know, I always, um, for what yeah. it's worth, give the advice of well, you know, you got to start small. You've got to
1: let's find our early adopters. Uh,
0: yeah, find. Find you know uh, people the are, doctor
1: that's committed.
0: Yeah, and who's the leader that that's enthusiastic about this, and not force it on on people because I think that's kind of a, a fool's errand to yeah, uh, idiot rejection. Know, uh,
1: yeah,
0: um, but you know to to start small, figure out what works, and you know go through rapid cycles of improving your improvement methodology as opposed to. Uh, you know, I've seen some organizations that, that want to talk about it and plan for a year. I get, you know this is the stealth mode approach. We're yeah, going to yeah. develop this perfect improvement model and then big bang launch it to, I guess, you know, the quote unquote marketplace of all these different departments and parts of the organization who, who then roundly reject um, said technology. Um,
1: yeah, it's, it's absolutely spot on, I think. Um, I mean, how many, how many different corporations are there right now that have decided to create an accelerator program because everybody is creating an accelerator program, mm. and have no metrics around that. You know, they're just like, we need to have one. Like, we we don't not really sure why, but everybody else seems to have one, so it seems to be necessary <laughs> for innovation. So we we better have one of those. You know. So I yeah. think, uh, but we're learning. I think we're all learning on mass, and it's it's nice that. It's kind of, again, it's nice philosophically that Lean starts with such a basic premise of, of not knowing. And so it's it's nice to be involved in a community where everybody is, you know, relatively humble and and likes to likes to kind of critique each other and, and looks at that feedback. And sometimes it's very stinging, uh, you know, to have somebody, like, pick apart your business idea that you got really excited about. but uh, But, like, at the end of the day, like, you kind of hear that critique and you're like, ah. Oh, Thank you for not letting me waste my time for the next six months. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know the, these these philosophical and practical overlaps. I mean, I think that that's that's what's interesting to me. And I think you know when people ask, or you know people sometimes I think in the manufacturing world, the the old guard, if you will, of the lean world, kind of wring their hands and like, well, is the lean startup really lean? And I think, well, I think when you really look into the philosophy, yeah, there are a lot of parallels and, and I'm, I'm willing to accept that, yeah, this is, this is good lean thinking. Um, and, and, and there are these parallels uh, across industries. Um, and I, I hope people across industry boundaries keep learning from each other.
1: Yeah, I'd like I wish there were more people from lean manufacturing that were involved in, in lean startup because there are so many lessons learned there. But we do have to be flexible and recognize that we mm-hmm. can't have six sigma significance when we're dealing with a sample size of, you know, 100 qualitative interviews. Yeah. So the tools and the artifacts may be very different. But I think the thinking is the same, except for the primary, you know, the primary difference being in lean manufacturing. In our goal, we know what value is, right? And our goal is to optimize the production of that value. Yeah. And in Lean stardom, you know, we're not—we're trying to optimize the production of knowledge, you know, not the production of value. So sometimes we do things that look on the surface very unlean. You know, like we'll pay—we'll blow thirty thousand dollars on AdWords to get a fast res- result, quick on whether this target market is sized correctly or whether or not they're going to convert at the rate we want them to convert, but. But what we're trying to produce is not customers there. We're trying to produce knowledge about whether or not that's the right target segment. Right. So
0: well, instead of just trying to, if you will optimize value, you're trying to discover what value is. Yes, right?
1: exactly. Yeah. And until we know that, well, we can't we can't optimize the production until we know what value what is valuable.
0: Yeah. So I guess the key questions come back to again, are are we learning? Are we getting better? I guess that's that's what matters, right?
1: Absolutely. And I think if I can answer that, I mean, I wish I could answer that every day with an affirmative. There are certainly some days where (laughs) I think I just need a nap. Um, but if I can, you know, if I can close my close up shop and close my eyes at the end of the day and go like, did I learn anything today? Like that's, that's a great day.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I think the same could be said, I think here for this podcast, I, I learned, some things, and hopefully the listeners uh, did as well. And I enjoyed it. I, I, I hope you did too, Tristan.
1: Yeah, I absolutely did. I mean, I love the I love the medical comparisons. There are, it's just fantastic. And I, I I'm so excited when I see uh, when I've I've been hearing from more biotech companies and medical companies about applying the lessons of lean startup along with lean manufacturing. That's just so thrilling because that's. It's not a consumer, it's not the yo app, right? It's not mm-hmm. some consumer <laughs> button. It's like we're gonna solve real problems for real people and, and radically alter lives and that's just always exciting. So thank you for having me and sure. uh, thank you for you know inspiring me for the rest of the day when yeah. I was that's feeling a little low coming into this conversation, but now I kind of feel excited to well, <laughs> do something.
0: Well gosh, well thank you and, and good luck with uh, those things that you're gonna do. Um, before we wrap up, um, how, how can people find you uh, online, website, Twitter, Lean Startup Circle, if you don't mind throwing out a little bit of oh, information. Cool. Yeah.
1: No, thank you for for reminding me to blatantly self-promote myself. Plug something.
0: I, plug I always something.
1: forget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so if, if you're interested, I mean, I run a blog at grasshopperherder.com. Uh, grasshopperherder.com. That's where I blog and I try and uh, interview um, people like yourself, so I'm going to have to get you you on there um, to understand more case studies about how we can apply lean startup and uh, lean thinking in various situations, particularly to innovation ecosystems. Sure. And if you're really interested in the community and you want to get involved on that peer-to-peer basis with the volunteer organization, that's Lean Startup Circle. And you can just flat out email uh, me, Tristan, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, at leanstartupcircle.com or Nick at LeanStartupCircle.com. And our website is LeanStartupCircle.com. And you're welcome to register there for our newsletters. And we'll try and point you to the right group near you where you can really connect and dig in with some of these concepts and topics.
0: Well, great. And uh, I encourage people to go uh, and check that out. So again, our guest has been Tristan Cromer. Tristan, great meeting you and talking to you today. And um, really thank you for being a guest.
1: Oh, thank you for having me again. And I hope to talk to you soon. Okay, thanks.